Hello and welcome back to the Sunny Side Up podcast. I'm your host, Sunny Chavla, and this marks episode three. Um, so just like episode two, this is going to be a solo shot. Um, and if you recall from the second episode, I talked a lot about companies and where they stand, um, or more specifically car companies and where they stand in the market at this point. Uh, we specifically covered um, a lot of these car companies that are switching, making the switch over to electric cars um, or they're changing different design aspects on their cars because there really isn't a, a whole share of a car company if the cars don't have resembling um, aesthetical figures. So one of those companies uh, happens to be one that has had a lot of questionable um, announcements over the course of a month or so. And that company is no other than BMW. Um, so I talked last episode about the 2 Series, which I announced would be out today, but they decided to release it a couple days earlier because of some uh, leaked pictures that were surfaced of the 2 Series. And basically the good news is it doesn't have those really ugly beaver teeth grills or whatever you want to call them. Um, they stuck to more of a quote-unquote traditional uh, design with this. Now, that's really where... Oh, and also the other good news about that is performance gains. Um, it has, I think, I want to say close to about 15 more horsepower than the previous... Um, and that is the M240i compared to the previous M240i. Uh, the 230i, it's a four-cylinder. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the the specs are on that, but, I mean, if you're buying a 230i, chances are you really don't care much about the performance. Um, but moving on, so this 2 Series, it is very questionable, the design. Um it stuck to the regular kidney grills. However, they don't look as rounded and as traditional as they normally look in, let's say, you know, the F87. Instead, um, they're a lot more robust, concave. The The same thing with the lights, too. We're, we're used to BMW lights having, you know, the round halos. But now it seems like BMW is switching over to, like, these half bracket or just any kind of... LED xenon light that attracts towards the um, the body lines of the car. So to kind of put it in short, they've differed completely from the design language on other cars. And even in the rear, I don't know what the fuck's going on with those taillights. Um, <laughs> it, it, they mentioned that it's like a three-dimensional look and it's, you know, super, super cool and everything. But a lot, especially with like the trunk, which instead of it being convex now, it's like more concave. It looks more like a forehead now. Um, just completely not a fan of that one bit. So um, BMW just in general, they're going in what is said a wrong step or a wrong direction here. So going along with the 2 Series, um, the M3 and M4 were really the first questionable cars to have come out uh, soon. And it's it's not looking good for them. I mean, you, the performance gains once again are there. 
Um, they always will be because I guess that's what they're really focusing on. They're more of a performance brand now. But you take a look at the front, and that's really what deters buyers from buying the car. Um, now, I know, like I had mentioned um, a couple episodes ago or last episode, that uh, a lot of companies are working um, you know, as an aftermarket source for those front bumpers, and hopefully that'll fix the whole issue. But in the first place, why is BMW doing things that, you know, that consumers wouldn't want on their car? You know, it's one thing to listen to your consumers and to not take into contention what they keep telling you to do, but it's another thing to basically just completely ignore them, although they are focusing on the performance aspect of things. And then, so we've got the two series covered. We've got the M3 and M4 covered. And then today, Motor Trend posted an Instagram post, um, and I've seen this render quite too many times on uh, on Beamer post, but the new 7 Series, 2023 7 Series, what the actual fuck is going on with, you know, with this whole, like, BMW design? Um, I posted it on my Instagram story, and a whole bunch of people just swiped up and were saying, you know, what's wrong with BMW? Why the hell is this happening? What What is going on here? And, you know, this is, like, it, just to kind of preface the look of the car, um, a couple months ago, BMW had been testing their X8 SUV um, along with their X7 facelift, and it was seen with what looks like a double design headlight, and also with the 7 Series when they tested that, it looked like a double design headlight. So it's this top little like LED strip. Underneath is obviously your um, just your normal headlight, but then it also incorporates the beaver grill and it is just everything is all over the place the side of the car looks like you know like a revamped town car the rear no one has really even seen what that's going to look like it's probably going to just look like a more traditional bmw rear but the front is way too busy um you know in in a lot of the bmw cars their design language had this like trapezoidal figure um, as like kind of the main air duct through the bumper uh, to obviously give the engine cooling um, and the brakes cooling but in the render it looks like the beaver grills overlap that and it looks it kind of looks like you know if you if you've ever tried growing like chin scruff and there's just a little bit of hanging out there like that's that's basically what it looks like that's really the only way that I can put it and the 7 Series, to be fair, has always been kind of an outlier on design. Um, you know, you take a look at the 70s and 80s when it first came out, and it was more or less of a 3 or 5 Series, but just with an extended wheelbase. You fast forward over to the 2000s, and that's, you know, the Chris Bangle era, which is most infamous for those really droopy headlights, um, the questionable rear, and the interior, which was, to me, abysmal. Um and, and the 7 Series really never had an identity, but people still bought them. Then you move over to 2011, um, I believe, up till about 2014. And that's when, you know, things started to look a little bit better. To me personally, like, that would probably be the one that I would get. Um, it's, it's, the interior is really nice, very luxurious, typical BMW interior, however. The exterior wasn't as bad as the Bangle era or you know, the 
like, I mean, that's really the only one that you can compare it to at this point. Then you've got 2016 to 2020 or 2022, really, where it looked a little bit more formidable, a little bit more futuristic, modern, um, so to speak. And the front in the facelift version started to have those big grills. And that's where all the memes just completely blew out of proportion. And now they're taking it even worse. And although you can say the seven series is an outlier, I wouldn't even go that far. Um, It's to me, I mean, as a BMW fanatic, um, I've never owned a Beamer. I've driven multiple and I obviously want an E92 M3, but like I have no idea what BMW is doing on a design aspect. Um, and and all, all those quote-unquote praises <laughs> go towards their chief designer, Domagaj Dukec, I believe is how you pronounce it. He's the head designer, um, and he's the one who's responsible of that beaver grill design in the first place. Of course, you know, a lot of people say that it's they're paying homage to the 3.0 CSL, which is that concept car that they had made even before that the e30 era and and prior to that where they had those vertical uh, those more vertical grills than they were horizontal but at this point they're just combining you know spaceships with like with this grill and to me it doesn't seem that it fits at all so you know all praises to him but he took over albert biermann's job um he, he was in my opinion phenomenal with design um he was able to keep all cars at a certain you know medium where it's not too you know over the top but it's also not too hideous at all and you know he's responsible for that 2010s era really um of bmw m cars and of course with when you're designing bmw m cars you also have to give a little bit of input on the regular cars and you know, even still the two series from that era and the two series or the four series from that era as well were a lot more likable. He is having a field day um, at Hyundai though. He helped design the first project that they had been working on, the Veloster N. And um, as some of you might know, uh, my good buddy, Chris, who was on episode one of the podcast, he owns a Veloster N. And I think those are, that's one of the like nicest looking hatchbacks. Um, that have have come out so he's already you know done a great job there then he helped design the 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 hyundai g70 and g80 um those i mean the g70 is arguably one of the nicest looking cars that are yet to come out um in the near future even before their previous generation was really really nice as well so uh, hyundai and kia keep getting a lot of praise for their design and he's really one of them to thank so um with that said you know bmw definitely having an identity crisis but as we segue on to the next topic here you know hyundai they are doing a thing of their own um the one thing that i did want to talk about is recently uh the the hyundai n division they announced that they are going to be releasing the elantra n real soon and what this is is um if you're not familiar with Hyundai as a company, uh, at least with their modern lineup, their Elantra is their compact sedan. Um, this kind of got the end treatment here, just the same way that the Veloster did. The Veloster was always posed as more of a sports car, kind of like how the Volkswagen GTI is or 
you know, Focus ST, stuff like that. The Elantra, however, was more of a rental fleet car or, you know, I need to get a car for my daughter to drive to and from school. Like that's what it was always viewed at, uh, viewed as, excuse me. Now that it's got the end treatment, it has the same um, two liter four cylinder turbo as the Velociran, putting out 276 horsepower and 289 foot pounds of torque. Um, it also has the six speed manual or the eight speed wet dual clutch available. And to me, this car might actually sell really well because I know a lot of people steer away from the Velociran because it's a three door, which is weird. You know, you don't ever see cars that have three doors and just they're just missing one on the other side unless it's like you know like a salvage car but um that was a deal breaker for a lot of people that i've uh, that i've heard were interested in the veloster end so this might be able to revive um those consumers back for them in the sense that it's a four-door it's a sedan it's practical um and it also is in end terms pretty quick so um Elantra N, I think, is going to be a big hit. And just N as a brand, um, or as a division of a big brand. The Veloster N, once again, a great hit. I personally would get one. Um, it, to me, it just seems that they did such a perfect job with the sound, the exterior, even the interior isn't all that bad, too, for the price point that it's at. They recently released the Kona N, which is their SUV. And to me, I mean, back in was it 2017 or 18 whenever the Hyundai Kona came out I thought it was one of those one of the ugliest cars ever you know I, th I thought it was one of those cars that were kind of like helping the Nissan Juke get praise for the design they completely redesigned it I took I would say a few cues from Audi um, and gave it the end treatment as well and it's a it's a pretty badass car if you ask me so Hyundai N as a brand um, or as the division of one, it's definitely getting up there. And I think it could probably compete with, um, you know, like the, the GTI, the golf or the R segment, I should say of Volkswagen, um, or even just like any of those other small performance or affordable performance car brands. Speaking of Volkswagen R, um, we are all aware of, you know, the GTI and the golf R, which is its more powerful brother. Well, Volkswagen decided why not give a Golf Wagon the treatment, and now they are coming out with the Golf R Wagon. This is a 315 horsepower, 310 pound foot um, estate that has all-wheel drive. It, it's got 0 to 60 in 4.9 seconds, which is about two-tenths off of the hatchback, which you compare a hatchback, specifically the Golf R, compared to the wagon, and you can tell you know, there's two distinguishable differences there as far as weight goes, but for it to only be two tenths away, not bad at all. You've got this R performance package, um, which includes two special driving modes. Number one, drift mode. If you want to drift your, your estate while you're dropping your kid off at school or something, you're more than welcome to do that. And then special mode, which is more fine tuned for tracking. So, you know, that's all cool. It's a wagon that has capabilities of a sports car. Let's take a look at the price tag. $60,000. Now, let's be honest here. Would you spend $60,000 on a Golf R wagon? Let alone just a regular Golf R? Personally, I wouldn't. Because there are a whole bunch of other options of cars 
for about 60k. If you want to take a look at sports cars, for example, you have the six-cylinder Supra, the new Supra that came out. It's taking everyone by storm. Um, the C8 Corvette, which you know is a beast of its own, and lastly, I think one that anyone can agree on that they would take over a Golf R wagon, a Mustang GT350, track-oriented, probably has some sort of drift mode or burnout mode like the GT does. It's an all-in-all great sports car. Now you might pose the argument that, hey, Sonny, these are all sports cars. They're not really all practical or they, they don't have the, the all-wheel drive capability. They're all rear-wheel drive. Well, you're in luck because I actually did a little bit more research here. All-wheel drive sports cars for 60K. You've got the 911 Carrera 4S. Obviously, you'd have to buy a used example because the new ones are, you can almost afford one and a half Golf R wagons for that. Um, the Kia Stinger and Genesis G70, we just talked about Kia and Hyundai and how they're coming up as a brand. A lot of the materials that they use, their design in general and performance too, which really make up that of a performance car is pretty much perfect. You're looking at around 40 to 60 K for an all wheel drive model. You can even get it in rear wheel drive if you want. So that's to me a better buy. And also if you want to, you know, kind of go on with electric cars, you have the Model 3 Performance by Tesla. All-wheel drive, dual motor, you know, performance, you got ludicrous mode. What more can you ask for there? And it's pretty practical if you ask me because it's got a trunk and a frunk. However, if you need the space, you, you, have, you say, you know, I need a wagon. It has to be a wagon. There's really one correct answer, but two possible answers here. The one possible answer is an E43. Um, if you want the performance that is somewhat comparable to the Golf R, 50K, and you get an E43. Now, this is once again used, but with low miles. I would personally, in this price range, especially for a wagon, go for an E63. About 2014 to 2016, or maybe even 2017, you're looking at 55 grand plus. And remember, 60 grand for the Golf R Wagon is the starting price. Not to mention adding in the R Performance package, adding in any other, you know, small little tweaks and bits and bells and whistles that Volkswagen might happen to offer. I would still get an E63. You get the luxury, you get the reliability, the peace of mind that it's a Mercedes and that to an AMG, and you get the performance big, big, big time. It also has drift mode too, if you get the S. So, and on top of all that, this Golf R wagon doesn't even come to the U.S. It stays in Europe. So VW enthusiasts, especially in the U.S., I think will will really, you know, they, they should be a little bit happier that the, the Golf wagon isn't going to be embarrassing itself down in this market. Because we take a look at, there's one car that I was thinking about getting before I ended up getting my Accord. Um, it was the Passat GT. Um, so that was a V6, had the VR6, um, had a couple bells and whistles here, here and there, leatherette interior. Um, it was basically like a sports Passat. And that hasn't sold well at all. Of course, you know, people buy it, but it didn't do as well as people thought it was going to do. And once again, it's just the wrong market to be introducing stuff like that. Like even the Passat GT, I mean, that, that can compare with a lot of cars, the Camry V6, 
the Accord 2.0, you know, it's that budget midsize or full size um, car that that does well. But Toyota and Honda and even, you know, um, domestic companies here in America, they are a lot more inclined to provide quality materials, whereas Volkswagen is just focused on possibly performance, not even, but infotainment, if anything. And they're getting better with it. Like, don't get me wrong. But at the time that I was looking at the Passat GT, it was, you know, not all that nice. The Golf Wagon, it looks pretty nice. The interior seems pretty cozy. But once again, you're comparing apples to oranges here. If you take a look at the Golf R Wagon for 60K plus, and then you're looking at a used E63 for 55K plus. To me, it's almost a no brainer. So um, the next topic, and this is probably going to be the last topic here is something that's that kind of came out of the ordinary um there's a couple memes that i've seen all over instagram where they talk about how ford moved up with the mustang and they made it an, an electric suv chevy's discontinuing the camaro and then here comes dodge saying you know let's put a hellcat engine and this and this and that and you know you've seen dodge with the hellcat engine and the jeep inside the grand cherokee um even you know going as far as putting it in the Durango along with obviously their Challenger and Charger and a lot of people have taken it upon themselves to stuff them in 300s and Miatas even so you know props to them for that so Dodge has this persona of producing super beefy engines with loud sounds and growls and it's just a complete raw muscle car however their plan is to release an electric Dodge muscle car. This is going to be in about 2024. Um, it is called the Dodge E-Muscle. And basically what they're going to do with it is they're going to take Stellantis's, uh, one of Stellantis's dedicated vehicle platforms for electric vehicles, um, preferably the bigger one that has 500 miles of range. Now, first of all, that doesn't add up because muscle cars and miles of range don't really go hand in hand with each other if we're being honest when's the last time that you were averaging 16 to 19 miles per gallon in your v8 you know sports car probably not ever but this one is supposed to have 500 miles of range and we've seen it with tesla how they have insane numbers electric vehicles in general have insane numbers where they're pulling northwards of you know 600 to a thousand horsepower and insane amounts of torque so this is something that could really go well for them if if a lot of the purists decide to go to electric vehicles or in you know they would never decide but if they're forced to now in the little teaser picture it showed kind of like a grill that was very um relevant and similar to that of the challenger grill or even the charger grill where it's just like a, rect a rounded rectangle up front of the bumper and it was kind of lit up and inside that or on that picture you could see the um, old retro Fratzog logo that was used on the 1960s and 70s Dodge cars as well so definitely you know taking a lot of the consumer demand into consideration it seems like they're going to be coming out with a very retro looked um, car here and to me I mean I think it's going to be a great hit as long as people can get over the fact that it's electric I'm one of those people that don't really care much about electric cars at the moment 
like I was almost disgusted when I saw that Mercedes uh, was going to be changing out their V8, you know, by turbo C63 out for a four cylinder hybrid. And yeah, it makes more power, but where's the sound? Um, so, you know, to, to be able to overcome that hurdle of gas powered cars and to move forward with electric cars, like a lot of the companies are doing, you know, props to Dodge, especially for doing something like this. And speaking of, you know, retro-esque electric cars, um, a company called E-Legend out of Germany, um, they made renderings of their first car that they want to build called the EL1. Now, what's special about this car is it resembles, and, and obviously in promising fashion, it resembles Audi's Quattro rally car. Now, that is one of the most iconic hatches. Um, it really like set Audi up into the world of rallying and the world of you know sports cars in general. And now this company, E-Legend, is taking that kind of body almost and retrofitting a lot of electric like machinery into it, really. So the company basically claimed that they that their car is going to be creating about 805 horsepower it's going to be going from 0 to 62 in about 2.8 seconds and has a 249 mile range uh, from a 90 kilowatt per hour battery um, and electric motor setup now they said that they're going to be building 30 units by hand so it's a very very limited you know product um, but they are planning on creating a full prototype um, along with those additional models for for about starting early 22, uh, to 2022, I should say. So this Audi-esque EV, I mean, obviously we, are, we all know that Volkswagen Audi, they're pushing towards these electric cars. But for another company to take their spin on it, that's something that you don't really see every day. Of course, with um, a lot of these American companies that were kind of just started up, they would take old chargers and challengers and they would retrofit them with a lot more of the like modern engines, modern infotainment, modern lights, etc. And this time they're, they're taking a rally car and turning it into an electric vehicle. So um, to me, it seems really really cool that they're doing this um but i want to definitely hear some of your guys' opinions on this um not just you know this specific german ev but along with dodge's electric vehicles um uh, along with obviously all the other topics as well so you tell me what you guys think about these um these specific controversial topics especially because there was a lot in this podcast that i had tried to cover um, you know, just kind of some final thoughts here. BMW, yes, they're having an identity crisis. Um, the Elantra N by Hyundai and just N in general, they're going to be taking over a lot of that affordable car segment um, for performance. And the the Golf R, the, the Volkswagen uh, company, they're really trying to push out a wagon now that's not even available in the U.S., so it shouldn't even phase you know, all you American listeners here, but you know, why are they doing it? Once again, a very controversial decision by another automotive company trying to find their niche. And lastly, you know, you've got the two electric car startups from one company that's very, very um, 
reputable in other words because of just how long they've been out here in the automotive market and then another one who um who are planning to really just make 30 copies of the car by hand and see how it pans out so once again would love to hear your guys's thoughts um, you can let me know those thoughts by dming me on instagram at sunish chavla but apart from that that is the end of this episode so thank you so much for listening um, and if you haven't already check out my earlier podcasts because a lot of these episodes and topics go hand in hand with each other so if you want to get the full context on everything um, and you don't really want to do your own research while you're listening definitely take a listen to those old podcasts as well. So once again, thank you so much and I'll see you guys in the next one. Take care.